0: Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli Church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you, but no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we are meeting by visiting solelychurch.com. S-O-L-I church.com. Rest in Jesus, Christian. As you are, please open your Bibles to First Timothy chapter 4 this morning. First Timothy chapter 4. We're going to take a little detour for one Sunday from the uh, grandeur of God and the attributes of God, just for one Sunday. And Lord willing, we'll be back next Lord's Day. Uh, Pastor Jeremy Haynes will be here. Uh, to speak on the holiness of God. And then Pastor Noyes will be back, Lord willing, that following week to preach the sermon that he would have preached today. But I want to read uh, in your hearing from 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first two verses. Hear the word of God. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. The word of the Lord. Our God in heaven, we pray today that the same spirit who spoke to Paul here, the same spirit that spoke to the prophets and the apostles, the same spirit who hovered over the waters of creation, the same spirit who hovered over the womb of the Virgin Mary, the same spirit who breathed out the scriptures for us would be the same spirit who speaks to us today through the word that's inscripturated here that he expressly spoke to the Apostle Paul. And so I pray that you would help us to take up a challenging speaking of the Spirit and help us to be steeled against the danger that is presented here. We pray this in Jesus' name and amen. You know, church, one of the responsibilities of being a pastor in Christ's church is that it is your responsibility to prepare the flock for times of persecution, to prepare the flock for times of suffering, to prepare the flock for times of apostasy, to prepare the flock for times of madness. It is the responsibility of those who preach and teach God's word in the church to make sure that you are equipped to stand faithful in the times that we live in. And to say that this is one of those seasons, a season of beginning persecution, a season of suffering, a season of apostasy, and a season of madness, only requires you to be awake right now. At all, you just have to be awake and you can see what's going on. And if you're faithfully attentive to the Bible, then these things are not a shock or a surprise to us. And that brings us to one of those things today, Um, And that's kind of the popular movement that Pastor Noyes Spoke about a couple of weeks ago That now because of social media because of the Twitter sphere and because of Instagram and because of Facebook and and Because of all the various ways in which we can be stupid um, uh, We've seen that there's this move this hip movement coming out of the church this very popular movement of deconverting, okay, deconverting. It's kind of the cool thing to do right now to deconvert from Christ and to deconvert from the church. And we're kind of shocked at some of the names of deconversion that are attached to this type of popularity that's there. And let's be honest, uh, uh, regardless of the tomfoolery of putting this stuff up on social media and writing blog posts on why Jesus is no longer viable for me in my life. I'm past the Jesus stage of my life now. Despite its popularity, it it should be very saddening to us to see people that once named the name of Christ, took up their cross and followed Jesus and confessed the faith to now want to unconfess the faith. There's a movement in England within the last number of years to, to get baptismal certificates of de-baptism. In other words, people who were baptized, by the way, if baptism didn't mean anything, why do you need a debaptism baptism certificate? That's another sermon for another time. Um, but it's people wanting to be disconnected from anything related to the Christian faith. And why, while it's sad and while it's discouraging and why it ought to grieve us, Church, the reality is is that it ought not to be surprising. Deconversions, because now they're in the cool sphere, still ought not to be surprising to us, and it ought not to be shocking to us. Because deconversions are not new. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was telling Timothy that there in Ephesus, were one of the great churches. I mean, you've got to think about the church at Ephesus, right? How's this? Okay, you guys have noise, Mink, Stead, and Deutsch, right? Not necessarily the four horsemen, right? Imagine having the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, and Timothy, right? You're all wishing you were back in Ephesus, right? I get it. I understand. Um, those are some giant... Imagine having those three as your, as your pastors, right? And yet still having deconversions in that church at Ephesus. Still having that church lose its first love, and still having that church within one generation no longer exist anymore. It happens. Deconversions happen. And they're not new. And they were true in Ephesus and Timothy's day, and they're ubiquitous in our own day. But it's our responsibility as pastors to steal you from that. Not that we are the power to keep you from that, that's Christ, but that it is Christ who uses means and the church is the means to keep you from doing this. Okay. The ministry of the church is the means that Christ uses to keep people to Jesus, you see. But that's still gonna happen our hearts are still going to be broken. It's going to happen. And Paul tells us this, and Paul tells Timothy this in 1 Timothy 4. Let's look at it. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. The Holy Spirit does not want us to be confused about this. There will be those who fall from faith the faith. and As as a matter of fact, Paul says, now the Spirit expressly says. Clearly says. Explicitly says. Specifically says. In other words, the Spirit's not hiding this. The Spirit's not putting this under a bush. The Spirit is not saying this in the dark. The Spirit is saying this in the light. He wants the church to know that this is a danger that it encounters as it does battle in the world. The Spirit expressly says that this is going to happen. The Spirit that spoke to the prophets, the Spirit that spoke to the apostles, the Spirit that speaks to us in his word, he wants us to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, you see. And church, this is very important for us. Because one of the great fears that I have in my own life and one of the great fears that I have as an under shepherd of the church is that the word of God will become common to you. The word of God will become dull to you. You will become dull of hearing the word of God. It will be this, somehow, just, just like reading another book. And when you hear it read and when you hear it preached, it just lands on your ears in a way that you'd be more excited to win the lottery than you would to hear the gospel. But look it, what the Spirit says is not always comfortable. What the Spirit says is not always business as usual, in fact the Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God so that business as usual cannot be in our lives. The Spirit of God is about shaking things up, He doesn't want us to be living comfortably numb to quote Pink Floyd that's not what he wants from us you see and so it's important for us not when we read these types of words which is the whole of the scriptures now the spirit expressly says oh that's what the spirit says I've got other things to do oh that's what the spirit says I've got other things to listen to I've got more important things on my agenda. You never have anything more important on your agenda than what the Spirit is saying in the Word. You understand that, right? None of us do. And so what the Spirit expressly says is of vital importance for us to listen to. And here's what the Spirit expressly says. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. Now we have to understand what later times is and what later times is not. Listen, in the Bible, regardless of some teaching that you might hear, later times or or last times does not mean and has never meant the three days before Jesus comes back. Okay? it, It never has meant that. Okay, so when we read this and we're like, well, the latter times, and guess what? Everybody who's ever read this wrongly has always believed what? We're the terminal generation, right? Right? We're the terminal generation. In the 70s, we're the terminal generation. We're not going to make it to the 80s, you know, Um, that's why when I was a kid, you know, and Prince was talking about partying in the future. Yeah, we never thought we would make, it's 2021, people. Um, all right, so, so please understand that, that, that latter times is this. This is very important, okay? The, the, the term latter times or last times is biblical shorthand for, for this. The last times were inaugurated at Christmas. They are present right now with the Spirit in the church and they will be consummated when Jesus comes again. In other words, the last time in the Bible is the time between Christmas and the second coming of Jesus. Every single generation that is alive until Jesus comes again is living in the last times. The last days are the days between the first and second coming of Jesus. That's what the last times are in the Bible. And so it's important. So what this means is this during the last times between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus history is going to move forward and there are going to be seasons in history of great reformation and great revival in the church and many will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ around the world and then there will be seasons in history as the spiral moves forward in which we will see great apostasy and the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And history moves through that spiral until Jesus returns. And if you wanna know if that spiral gets bigger or smaller as it gets closer um, to uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's another sermon. All I'm trying to get you to understand right now is you are living in the last times and that does not mean that Jesus is coming back on Tuesday. But he could. And I'm not saying he won't. But I'm not saying that that's what this means, okay? It means that during the entire season since Jesus came until he comes again, the church is going to have seasons. And we just happen to be in one of the seasons that Paul is talking about right here. We happen to be living in one of these seasons, okay, during which as the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven, we are watching what the Spirit is talking about here in many ways. Well, what is the Spirit saying is going to happen during those latter times? He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. There will be deconversions. And Paul is telling Timothy, as a pastor, to communicate with the church at Ephesus to not be surprised at this, to not let this shock you, to know that it is a part of the cosmic battle that we are in, that is a cosmic battle for the souls of men. And Paul makes it very clear that some will depart from the faith. Notice he doesn't say that all will depart from the faith. In other words, in the context of the kingdom of God coming on earth, the context of the expansion of the church around the globe, in the context of the Great Commission, there will be those who come into a a confession of faith, they will come into the church, they will come into baptism, they will taste the powers of the age to come, and we will consider them brothers and sisters in Christ. We might work alongside of them as brothers and sisters in Christ for a very long time. Everything that we can see from our perspective is that they belong to the Lord in the same way that we belong to the Lord, because we don't look at at things. And some of you are going, right now, what about election? Well, let me tell you about the doctor of election. It's none of your business. The secret things belong to the Lord, okay? So the doctrine of election exists for the comfort of the saints, not for the prying of the saints. And how dare us go against the scriptures and say, oh well, if they deconvert, they were never elect anyways. That's not the way that the Bible presents it. Who cares? They're reprobate. You don't know that, and I don't know that, and it seems to matter inside the Bible that we're not responsible, eternal decrees are God's deal, right? It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. We are responsible to deal with covenant realities in the world, you see. We see things through the lens of the covenant, you see. And that's very important for you to understand. And so apostasy is a reality in the Bible. Apostasy is a reality in the New Covenant. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for fall away from the faith, which is a lot of words in our English, is one word in the Greek. And it's the word from which we get the word apostatize. Apostatize. Someone who walks away from the faith they once confessed. Someone who denies the faith they once owned. Someone who falls away from the faith. And, And this is very important. That we understand this because a lot of times we think that apostasy is is simply like a moral thing. Someone went off into immorality and never came back. And that is true. There are ways of apostasy that have to do uh, with, with leaving God's standards and going off into the world's standards. That is true. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a different kind of apostasy. An apostasy that is not simply walking away, and this is very important, because a lot of these deconversion people will say this, I'm, I'm not leaving my faith. I'm just leaving the Christian version of my faith. I still have a faith, right? That's what they're saying, I still have a faith. I still maybe have a God. And it's like a Mr. Potato Head. I'm in my bedroom putting my God together the way I want him to be, right? I mean, he's got, normally what happens when you have a Mr. Potato Head God is if you step back and look at it, guess what he looks like? A lot like you, right? He looks like uh, you have made God in your image, right? Okay? And, that, and that's not... But, but so notice that Paul does not say they will fall away from faith. He says they will fall away from the faith. That definite article changes everything about what we're talking about here. These people who oftentimes deconvert, they don't go from the Christian faith to nothing. They go from the Christian faith to a different faith. From the Christian God to a different God. From the Christian Jesus to a different Jesus, you see. And so that's why the faith, they are leaving the faith. They are leaving the Christian confession of Faith, you see, it's, they're leaving something objective, something that is true. The faith, not that they're not that they're not believing in something anymore. It's just that they're not believing in this anymore. The faith, and so it's very important. This is a, this is a truth apostasy. They are apostatizing from the truth. This is a doctrine apostasy. They are apostatizing from sound doctrine. This is a teaching apostasy. They are apostatizing from the teaching of the Christian faith. This is a the faith apostasy. They are apostatizing from what we're going to confess later on in this service. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That, that creedal formulation of the Christian faith and the implications of that are what they are apostatizing from. And we have a couple examples of this. Look at verse um, the end of verse 19 and verse 20 of chapter 1. Paul actually names two dudes who are going to remain ever in the Bible as people who did this. Hymenaeus and Alexander. Look at what the end of verse... 19 beginning in verse 20 says, By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Himenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. There, there are people who make shipwreck of the faith and their faith in the faith, you see. It is a reality. And so we have to recognize Paul is, is teaching Timothy to understand that this type of a battle is going on in the church. And as a pastor he needs to be aware that there will be apostasy that takes place. Sadly, that is the case and for us not to be surprised when it happens. But what's behind this? And this is very important because some of us still live as if there's no unseen realm Some of us live as if the only reality is the reality that you can see with your eyes. And that's so dangerous in our day to be a materialist. Even as a Christian to be a functioning materialist and think that the only thing that's real is what you can see with your eyes. But we are are in a battle that's a cosmic battle. We are in a spiritual battle with unseen forces that are real. And I want you to see what Paul says is behind this apostasy. Look at what he says. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, watch this, by devoting themselves to, you see that? So this is not a from faith to nothing. This is from the faith to something else. And look at what it is. It's to the unseen realm of darkness. Paul says they will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So they're departing the faith with its teachings to other false teachings. And listen, this is very important. And those false teachings are coming through false teachers who are empowered by dark forces, okay? That's why the worldview, even if you, if you, can, if you have a Christian worldview, so you, you, you can have fun with the Star Wars and Harry Potter worlds, imaginative worlds and the Tolkien worlds and the Lewis worlds because at least they take seriously something that modern man thinks it's grown out of. And that's that there are dark forces in the world that work to deceive people and lead them astray. So you'll notice. I want you to see the way this works. According to the Apostle Paul, this deconversion happens when someone leaves the faith, becomes devoted to a different teaching. That teaching comes through a false teacher. Look at verse 2 through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So you have lying perpetrators whose consciences are seared and they wouldn't know the truth if it slapped them upside the head. Their consciences are completely numb and dull to the truth. They are liars. They are not truth-tellers at all. So you have false teaching coming through false teachers that, watch this, are empowered by and ignited by Dark forces. Look at the verse. One, from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So it's not just any kind of teaching. These defectors are defecting from a faith to a faith, from the faith of light to the faith of darkness. You see, the spirits are deceitful, hey okay, listen, the spirits are deceitful, the spirits are seductive. I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics or not, I, I'm a glutton for the Olympics, I absolutely love the Olympics, um, I'm, I love athletics, um, uh, but I record them, and it always, I always really get upset when my, you know how like you're fast forwarding through the commercials? But then, you, then that dreaded moment in your life comes where you catch up and you can't fast forward anymore, right? Denny, my brother, he's sharing my love right there. It's just like, oh my. So Teresa, I watching some of these commercials last night, right? And these commercials are the most absurd. Life is about you. And you, and the better you, the center of the universe is you. And it's like, really? Because if it's you, then it can't be me. So let's fight, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, you, I mean it, it, it doesn't work, right? And so, but guess what that is? That sounds good to people who don't have anything to live for, right? Live for self. Deceitful spirits, you see, deceitful spirits. Spirits who are seductive in the way that they lure us from the faith. Because let's be honest, following Jesus has always been and will always be hard. There's a reason why the center of our faith is a cross. And there's a reason why Jesus framed discipleship as taking up your cross and following Jesus. Because it's, it's hard. Now those of us whom the Lord is keeping to Jesus, we recognize that hardness. We recognize that comes with that. It's in John 6 where Jesus spoke hard words, the Bible says. He spoke hard words and it says, and many who, now listen to this, and many who had believed in him followed him no more. Jesus spoke hard words and many who had believed in him followed no more. They apostatized from the living Jesus who was in front of them incarnate. And then Jesus looked at the few that were left and said, are you guys heading sayonara too? And what did Peter say? Lord, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You see, this, this battle is going on all throughout the scriptures. But it's not just seductive spirits, it's also the doctrine of demons. Look at what Paul says. It's, they devote themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of of demons. Demons have doctrines. Demons have teachings. Demons have Bibles. Demons have preachers. Demons have apostles. Demons have representatives. Demons have churches. Anything that deviates from the crystal clarity of the revelation of the triune God in the gospel is demonic no matter where it's found, and no matter whose mouth it's coming from. And you see, we just think that this exchange of ideas in the world is just, we're all just in the marketplace of neutral ideas. No, we're not. We're locked in a cosmic battle between the truth and lies, according to the Scriptures. The unseen realm is real. The strange doctrines are not just strange, they are demonic, and they are intended to shipwreck people's faith the battle for truth the battle for sound doctrine the battle for scriptural fidelity is a cosmic one and we can't be soft here church we cannot be soft here we cannot be gooey here we have to be strong here when it comes to truth and sound doctrine and good theology, we cannot be soft here ever. Because listen, the church is the chosen beacon of the Lord to proclaim, preserve, guard, and defend the trust. And the church is the only choice of Jesus. It's not as though Jesus can go, oh, okay, I've got this on the side over here. He has one bride and it's the church and they have one responsibility and it's to be faithful to the faith and not to be seduced by these doctrines so that we don't become a purveyor of the deconversions or a helper to the deconversions. Look with me back up to verse 15 of chapter 3. So that you understand this, Paul says this, this would would be the context, right? So in the original letter, there were no chapter breaks. You guys understand this, right? We've said this before. The chapter breaks are artificial, all right? They're, They're put there by editors of the Bible in order to help us be able to locate places. But in the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, this is not there. So the flow from the end of chapter three into the beginning of chapter four is vital for us, okay? Verse 15 of chapter 3, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So the church is God's household, okay? The church is God's family. It's God's household on earth, okay? Secondly, the church is the gathered people of the living God. If you want to know where the living God is, he is with the ecclesia. He is with the church, the gathered together church, But notice what the church's responsibility is as the household of God. Notice what the church's responsibility is as the ecclesia, the called out ones, of the living God. We, the church, have a responsibility to the truth. Notice what the end of verse 15 says. A pillar, the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's what the church is. That's what the church's calling is. That's who we are. That's what we're supposed to do. We are a pillar of the truth. What does that mean? It means when people look at the church, they are to see and hear the proclamation of the truth. In Ephesus, there were these massive buildings all around Ephesus that had these massive pillars, these massive columns. And you could see them from almost anywhere You just turn and look and you could see these massive columns of these buildings. They were to be seen from everywhere. And that's the image of the church is that the church, as it relates to the truth, is the pillar of the truth. The church is to be the place where truth is found, where truth is proclaimed, where truth is not compromised, where we are not ashamed of the truth. We preach the truth. We teach the truth. We catechize in the truth. We preach the truth. We exhort in the truth. We encourage in the truth. We rebuke in the truth. We reprove in the truth. We are a truth people and the truth is found in the living word of God and we must never be ashamed and we must always preach it. Next, we have to be a buttress of the truth, a support of the truth, because the truth will be attacked by the doctrine of demons, by the demons who have these false doctrines. The truth will be attacked by people to whom the truth is not palatable, the truth is not comfortable. And so, what it means for the church to be a buttress of the truth or a support of the truth is that we not only preach the truth, but we guard the trust. We guard the truth. We defend the truth from error. That is our responsibility. And so, church, I want you to listen to this. Then the truth, of course, is incarnated for us in Jesus. That's the next verse, okay? The next verse is one was an early church creed that is the foundation of the Apostles' Creed. Okay, so the Apostles' Creed grows out of this creed that's actually Holy Spirit inspired. Okay. Verse 16 great indeed we confess. This is a confession of faith. It's a creed. Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. And then it's just a short creed on Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh, that's Christmas. Vindicated or justified by the Spirit, that's the resurrection. Seen by angels, heaven saw everything he was doing. Proclaimed among the nations, which was going on at that time. Believed on in the world, which was going on at that time. Taken up in glory, that's the ascension. Okay. So you have this little Christological creed that is the foundation of everything uh, that the church is about. About the truth as it is in Jesus Christ revealed to us, you see. So the church is to be the pillar of the truth. The church is a buttress for the truth. The church proclaims the truth. The church guards the trust. And in that context of the church doing that, the Spirit still expressly says that in the latter times, some will actually depart from that. That even in the midst of that, some will depart from that. But because some will depart from that does not mean we give up the fight. Because some will depart from that does not mean we stop doing what we're supposed to do. Look at what Paul told Timothy to do. I'm going to wrap with this. Look at what Paul told Timothy to do, knowing that the Spirit expressly says that these deconversions are going to be happening in in later times. What what, what did Paul say to do? Verse 6 of chapter 4. If you put these things before the brothers, which is what I'm doing this morning, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, trained in the words of the faith. So no, us, it's the faith. And of the good doctrine that you have followed. In other words, Timothy, put before the people of God the faith. Put before the people of God the good doctrine that you have followed. That's what you do. You're going to keep putting these things before the people so their faith has something to sink into. Okay, that's the church being the means that God uses to keep his people to himself, you see. Verse 13. Until, and again, this is one of those things where it's like it's not complicated. To participate in the spiritual battle is not complicated, but, but we make it so much more complicated than it has to be. Verse 13, until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Okay, there it is. Public reading of Scripture. That's why we read Scripture every Sunday in church at Sully. To exhortation, which is what I'm doing now, preaching. And to teaching. Devote Devote yourself, Timothy. This is what you do. In this battle, Timothy, in this battle, in which Jesus is king and darkness is fighting back and darkness will lose and Jesus will win and in the midst of that there will the elect those who belong to Jesus will make it to the end and there will be defectors of the covenant along the way you preach you read you teach scripture verse 14 do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by the prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you practice these things immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress and here's what's at stake look at verse 16 Here's what's at stake. Again, Christ is Lord over all of this, but the church is the means that Christ uses. Look at verse 16. Keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Why? Look at the rest of this verse. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Wait a minute, Timothy's not the Savior, Jesus is, that's right. Jesus is the only Savior. But you want to know how Jesus gets his saved people? This is a will, this is future tense. How Jesus gets his people to the end of their salvation, how he takes them all the way to the end, how he he perseveres them by his Spirit, is through the ministry of the church. That's how he does it. So he gets the glory, but we are responsible to be faithful with the means that he takes up. And you see, some, some, some Christians have a problem with that. Some Christians who are what we would call sacerdotal want to locate it all in the church as if the church, by its very operation, is, is that, and it doesn't need Jesus and the Spirit of God. Some people want to so spiritualize it that Jesus does what he does and and, and God does what he does and they don't use means. Both of them are errors. Both of them are errors. God in Jesus by the Spirit has always used means to accomplish his purposes and the church can never operate apart from the Spirit of God. Never operate apart from the presence of God. Never operate apart from God. Okay? Never. Never. And so listen, here is my close to you. We know what the responsibility of the church is. Be faithful. What is your responsibility? Be a churchman. Your responsibility is to be a churchman, to be a churchwoman, to be a church youth, to be a church child. Your responsibility is to stay attached to the means. Your responsibility is to make sure that the means of grace are life to you. You recognize that life from heaven is communicated to you through the means of grace. That the Spirit of God takes up word, water, bread, wine, fellowship, prayer. That's what the Spirit of God takes up, and he accomplishes the divine purposes through them. So the church can never be second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth place in your life and choices. Your participation in the life of the church must be the central and most important thing in your life. Because it is the bride of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ that is his chosen means to accomplish his divine purposes. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, take your word and seal it for your honor. In Jesus' name.